But we're in a book called Jonah. It's actually only two pages, but it's called a book because it's one of the prophets in the story of one of the prophets in the Old Testament. His name is Jonah. Yeah. And when you think of Jonah, we obviously think of a fish. But I want you, by the end of our series, to think of Nineveh, to think of the city, to think of Delhi. I want you to think of a city. All right? So we're talking about Jonah. And God shares, God sends his heart to Jonah. And I asked you to pray for two things. I don't know if you remember that. I asked you to pray for two things. Number one, I asked you to pray about who you will bring with you to church to share the good news or the good word of God's peace. I asked you to pray for two things. One, who are you going to bring with you? Don't come alone. Number two, how are you going to respond to God's call on your own life and ministry? What God said to Jonah, what the fatah, but what is God saying to you and what are you doing about that? How are you going to respond? So as you let it work in your heart and as you think through it through the week, through the month, I want you to have an answer. I want you to have an answer. I don't want you to have a ship. I don't want you to have a storm. There should be no fish. I want you to have an answer. I want you to be running to the city, not away from the city. Everybody with me? Okay, let's try and get all the distractions down to bare minimum. I'm just going to speak for one and a half hours. That's all. Let's go for it. If you've ever run from something you know God wanted you to do, I repeat, if you've ever run from something you knew God wanted you to do, like for instance, if you've run from something he wanted you to commit yourself to, but you ran from that, or something he wants, someone you wanted you to talk to, like for instance, you know how you feel that, you know, call him up, <coughs> get on the phone, speak to him. Bring it up, but you're like, it's too uncomfortable, and you leave it alone. Or perhaps some place God wanted you to go, you didn't go. If you've ever run from something you felt God wanted you to do, you'll know what Jonah feels like. You know what Jonah experienced, especially when it requires you leaving your comfort zone. Requires you to leave your comfort zone. Running is a fear-driven response. What is running? A fear-driven response. It's a fear-driven response to a faith-filled challenge. It's a fear-driven response to a faith-filled challenge. So God challenges you to do something out of faith. You respond by doing something out of fear. That's when you run. Running is always when you run from God because of fear. So it's a fear versus faith thing. It's not about the task. It's about fear. I want you to know something. I want you to know something. I want you to know Something about God that God doesn't do. Listen to me carefully. Write this down. Highlight it. Memorize it. This is something God doesn't do. God does not give up on you. God does not give up on you. Your mother can give up on you. Your teachers can give up on you. Your coach can give up on you. Your friends can give up on you. But God does not give up on you. And he will go to great lengths to prove to you that he does not give up on you. But I also want you to learn, as you know this truth, don't be like these beguiled Christians or followers of Christ that just quote these lovely scriptures to feel good about themselves, but never get down to business. They never get down to what God has actually asked them to do. They quote these scriptures to make them feel good about themselves while they continue their own little life of self-centered, self-preservativeness. God wants you to learn to pick up on God's gracious cues. God's gracious cues, not clues, 
cues, hints, signs. When he sends a little bit of a cue young down your way to say, hey, take a U-turn here. Stop going after that person. Change that priority. Stop doing that. Let go of that memory. When God sends these cues, you need to be able to pick up, pick up on them. So God will not give up on you, but he'll keep sending those cues so that you turn around, turn around, do a U-turn, reroute, reroute, reroute. Get it? Yes, no, hallelujah. Yes, very good. <coughs> so I want you to know that. I want you to know that God will not give up on you, but I also want you to know that God keeps sending cues and you need to learn to pick up on those cues. That's why today's message is entitled God's Gracious Cues. Learning to recognize God's gracious opportunities that he gives to us. I also want you to know that you are not Jonah and there is no fish for you and there is no Nineveh for you. And God has not made up this story to tell your children. God was doing something in the life of his people, the, the, the chosen people of Israel, at that time in the Old Testament. And God was saying something that was on his heart through many prophets. Okay, It's not just Jonah, there was also Amos, there was also Hosea. And the one underlining theme that God seemed to be hammering out at, this, at the Israelites was, look at the others, the Gentiles are more interested in me. Others are more willing to turn. Others fear me more. And you guys are asleep. You guys are apathetic. You guys are complacent. So as you look at all the prophets, you'll see that ongoing theme as God cries out for his own people to wake up while other people actually want to turn. While other people actually want and are more interested in believing in the God that the believers already know. His grace and mercy, they already know. So that's the picture. I want you to know that backdrop as well. Let me read at warp speed. Okay? So that it's read at least once. So that you know the story. And then we're going to go back and, uh, uh, from verse 4 onwards and break it down. But the Lord sent out, a, sent out a great wind on the sea. And there was a great mighty tempest on the sea. So that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid. And every man cried out to his God through the cargo. Is that fast enough? Yeah, threw the cargo uh, that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had laid down and gone to sleep. So the captain came, came to him and said to him, what do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know whose cause this trouble has come upon us. For whose cause? So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, please tell us, man. Where? Who are you? Where have you come from? What is your other number? <laughs> Verse 9. So he said to them, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, why have you done this? And the men said, uh, men knew that they had fled from the presence of the Lord because, of course, he told them that. Verse 11. Then they said to him, what shall we do? The sea to, come, to be calm for us. For the sea was growing more and more tempest. Verse 12. He said, pick me up, throw me into the See, the sea will become calm for you, for I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode harder to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to be more and grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord, Lord, we pray, please do not let, this, let us perish for this man's life. Do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done it as it pleased you. So they picked Jonah up, threw him into the sea. The sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Verse 4. Let's go back. Verse 4. 
Whenever there's a but the Lord, but God, you've got to take notice of that. Whenever there's a but in the Bible, you've got to take notice on that. Because especially in the Hebrew language and also in the Greek language, that conjunction really pulled two stories together. It turned the story. It changed the mood. It, it needs to catch our attention. But the Lord. I want you to know, and as it begins in this verse, verse 4, but the Lord. Verse 4. Three verses have passed, but verse 4 says, but the Lord. Why? Because Jonah is not the, the, the star of the show. The marinas are not the star of the show. Not Nineveh, no, Tarshish is the star of the show. It is God who is center stage. He is the main character in this story. God is the one who's writing the story. He's the one who's calling. He's the one who's nurturing. He's the one who's, uh, who's proving something, communicating something, orchestrating something with his purposes. There is a meta narrative here. There's a bigger story than just Jonah. Jonah doesn't stand alone. He's part of what God is doing with Israel. That includes Hosea, Amos, everybody. And these guys were not fulfilling their mission. Their mission mandate. They were not doing what God wanted to do. And God is going to come in with drama, literally, and get these people to move. He's going to get these people to move. God goes all out to prove that unbelieving mariners and a Gentile city are quicker to respond to his love and mercy than his own people. God was exposing the apathy and complacency of his people in the face of his heavy compassion for the lost. But God. Did you get that? But God. Underline it. Highlight it. But God. What did God do? What's the first thing God did? God sent out a great wind. God sent out a great wind over the whole sea. When God's people are disobedient, everybody suffers. Over the whole sea. So the boat was about to break. Nah, you don't get it. You don't get it. You watched Steven Spielberg. You watched, you know, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. You've watched those movies where you had those massive ships from hundreds of years ago. These were rock-solid ships. They were built over months. They had that big funny thing in the front, and they rode. They had these marinas who were skilled, solid, tough guys. These are solid men who lived at sea most part of the year. They were pirates. They were cargo transporters. They were, uh, tra- you know, just passenger transporters. They had these massive ships. They would go in convoy, not just one little ship with the guy going like that, like that, like that. We, they were moving in convoy. There was amazing, strong battleships. They could fight between these ships. Are you getting the picture here? These men are not just little Malayali fishermen with the thing and then just... No! And the backwaters of... No! Okay, I put a bad picture in your mind, but you get what I'm saying. These are solid fellows. So when the Bible says the mariners were afraid, when the Bible says the mariners were exceedingly afraid, if the mariners are afraid of the great wind, you better be. You know what I'm saying? If the marinas are getting scared of the situation of the sea, where they are eight to nine months of the year, where they are most of their life, they are skilled for this job. They know this. This is their turf, man. This is their sea, which they later find out is God's sea. For Yahweh, the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, is the God who made the land and the sea. So if he doesn't like what's happening in the sea... If he doesn't like what's happening on the land, you see what I'm saying? 
So God can do what he has to do to get Jonah's attention. If you're with me, these are solid guys. But God, God, he's the principal character. He sent a great wind so that the boat was about to break. Not a little boat. These were the huge things that they created. Solid, brave, experienced men. And God had overtaken Jonah in his running and he was not going to let this guy off. He's going to Tarshish. Yeah. Feel that wind, Jonah? That's me. Getting ahead of you. Why, God? Why will you not give up on me? Why will you pursue me constantly? Why will you not turn to anybody and give the job to somebody else and get the job done? Why, God? Why, Jonah? Why me? Verse 5. Then the mariners were afraid. Say it with me. The mariners were afraid. You got to take notice when, a, when mariners get afraid. At sea, in their own boat, when they get scared, you got to take notice. And the mariners were afraid. And every man cried out to his own God. Quote, his own God. Very good. And threw the cargo over because that's what you got to do. Lighten the ship. Take it, take it easy. You know, you got to get through the storm to lighten the load. But Jonah. There's another but. But Jonah. What did he do? You see, God is playing with pictures here. Please note, God is playing with pictures here. And God is saying, while all this is happening, while there's a storm at sea, there's impending doom, unbelievers are crying out to their gods, my people have gone down to the hold and they have signed out. They have checked out. They are chilling. Not only are they running, but they are chilling. Jonah, all alone, in his first class compartment, downstairs there, with a bit of a drink, coffee perhaps, Phoenician coffee, he's gone to sleep. So get the picture, get the picture that God is playing with over here. Jonah had gone under the lowest part of the ship, lowest part of the ship, had laid down because at the lowest part, the boat rocks least. Yes? Don't, don't shake my life up. I know Jesus. I'm going to heaven. And he was fast asleep. So look at the contrast here. You look at the contrast. The mariners, afraid. Jonah, gone to sleep. Every man cried out to God. They're pouring out the uh, cargo. But Jonah, he's out. So no one less than the captain himself goes looking for Jonah. Hey, isn't that, that one weird looking guy? Was he, wasn't he with us? We don't want to miss out on that one God. We need to tap into all the gods available here. So all the men, they were crying out to all their gods, but one God hadn't been tapped into, and that is the God of the fellow who's fast asleep. So the captain goes down to the hole and wakes Jonah up, just like, sounds just like my mother on Saturday morning, when I was 12. Arise, oh sleeper. You think I'm joking, it's there. Then they said, oh, no, 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 so verse 9, verse, uh, verse, uh, verse, verse 6. Uh, yeah, oh, got ahead of that. So the captain said to him, what do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God, perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. It's the captain who addresses his apathy. Number one, he says, what do you mean by sleeping at this time? 
And Jonah responded, you sound like my, like my mother. Then he says, arise and call on your God because we haven't yet tapped your God. Tapped on your God's door. Very funny, very hilarious, very ironic that an unbeliever should tell a believer to pray out to his God. Because, number three, his God might consider us. Wow! Please wake up and pray to your God so that your God might consider us. Jonah, dude, there's more faith in the marina than you have in your own God. I think you need to wake up from two sleep. Your physical sleep and your spiritual sleep. Perhaps your God will consider us. He's showing more faith there. The captain is showing more faith there. Verse 7. Then they said to one another, come let us cast lots. This was a kind of little game. So to be able to pick out the short stick out of the long sticks and figure out who's the problem and everybody has it. Play dice, whatever that. It was a play game of chance. Are you getting me? It was a game of chance. It's a providence of chance. Let us cast lots that they may know whose cause this trouble has come upon us. For why? For whose cause? So they cast lots and the lot falls on Jonah. <laughs> because God is the God of chance as well. When he's running after you, even by chance you're not going to escape. I just love this. I love the way God corners this guy. His love for him just encourages me. I'm actually encouraged because I, there's a part of me that's run a lot from God. They said, let's cast lots. Lot falls on Jonah. Verse 8. Then they said to him, please, come on, man. What have you done? Tell us, what have you done? For whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? What is your other number? You know what I find funny? Jonah was running to hide. <coughs> All the best with that, buddy. He was running to hide. Now he's the center of the story. Now he's sitting in the seat there and all of them are sitting around to tell us, who are you? Where do you come from? He's now the popular guy on the boat. Now everything is happening because of him. And he's like, God, just leave me alone already. I just want to be, I just want to run. I don't want to be the big savior here. I don't want to be the, star, the, 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 the hero of this story. God is saying, no, you're not the hero of the story. But the hero of the story chooses his horse. Did you get that one? I, I just came up with that one. Verse 8. Tell us what's going on. Verse 9. So he said to them, I am a Hebrew. Okay, he starts spilling his beans here. I fear the Lord. Which, which Lord? The God of heaven who made the seas. And now note, note, now note. Verse 10. Then the men were exceedingly afraid. Verse 5, they were Afraid. Verse 10, they were exceedingly afraid. Verse 5, they were afraid of the winds and the waves. Verse 10, they were afraid of the God of the winds and the waves. God seems to be moving faster than Jonah. God seems to be using Jonah even when Jonah didn't want to be used. God seems to be drawing people to himself even while his messengers aren't even getting the message outright. 
Amazing. Absolutely amazing. These men were exceeding their faith. Verse 11. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you? (laughs) I wouldn't have talked to him. I would have talked to the other guys. What shall we do with him? But they turn to him and say, what shall we do with you? Something not right there. But they knew that the guy who knows the God who made the winds and the waves is probably going to know what the solution to the winds and the waves are. So they turn to Jonah. What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. So here's this genius. He comes up with the best plan in the world. This is, this is, this is this, the picture of grace right here. Okay, guys, here's what you need to do. Pick me up. Well, we, that also he wasn't able to do himself. <laughs> Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Let me tell you what, that, that, that's, that's not just funny. He's not, he's not just going to swim home. That means death. That tempest, that sea, that far from land, he's on his way for thousands of miles in the opposite direction. They're well into the journey. He's not talking about swimming home. He is going to die. So he's saying, I choose death over obedience. You want to get rid of this problem that God is bringing upon me? Get rid of me. That was your moment, brother. That was your cue. Turn to God. Turn to God. They are asking you to pray to your God. You're not praying to Him. They're asking you to ask mercy. You're not asking. They're asking for a solution for the situation. You don't want to. And your answer is, I bail. I quit. I bail. I quit. I bail. I quit. I leave it. I leave this. I leave that. I leave people. Leave my Bible. Leave my church. Leave everything. Learn to pick up on the cues when God is graciously calling you back to himself. Verse 12. And he said to them, pick me up, throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. For I know. At least finally he knows something. Finally he's sure about something. So they look at the troublemaker for the solution. He knew the God who he was running from. And he should know what would appease him. Pick me up and throw me into the sea. But you know what? This is the part that I stopped and I cried. The response of the mariners, the response of the sailors. Look at what they do. Verse 14, verse 13, verse 13. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Nevertheless, nevertheless, there's a storm that you're afraid of. There's a God that you're exceedingly afraid of. The man has just come clean. He says, I'm the problem. Throw me into the sea. And the sailors have more hope and grace for you. For you, Jonah. They should have thrown you into the sea right away. But they said, okay, wait, hang on. Let, let, let's, let's give this another shot. Come on, guys. Let's try harder. Throw some more stuff overboard. Let's row harder. Let's try to get back to land. Even they wanted to save Jonah's life. God wants to save Jonah's life. They want to save Jonah's life. And Jonah says, I bail. I go. I want. I don't. What a beautiful, beautiful moment of grace from the heart of the unbelievers. Nevertheless, they sought to save Jonah. They rode harder. So firstly, they don't throw him overboard. Secondly, they prayed to his God. Did you get that? They prayed to his God. He should have prayed. It's his God. 
They prayed to his God. How do we know that? Because they said, oh, Yahweh, that's his God. They said, oh, Lord, Yahweh. So they don't throw him over. Finally, they throw him over. And then they prayed to his God. This is what they said. Look at this prayer. We pray, we, all of us who pray to our own gods, now we pray, O oh God, to you. We pray, O oh Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life. Do not charge us with innocent blood for you, O oh Lord, for you, God of heaven, have done it as you pleased. What's happening here? They have realized that this God, God of the sea, God of the wind, God of the waves, if he wants something, it happens. If he wants something, it happens. So if this guy has messed with his God, then please don't hold us accountable for it. Don't, please don't hold us uh, charged for it. This is between you. You are doing as you please. You take care of him. I think the fish was an answer to their prayer. You didn't hear me. I think the fish was an answer to their prayer. We are throwing him overboard, but we are not going to be responsible. You do it, oh God. We pray, O oh Lord. So they picked up Jonah and they threw him over and the sea seized its raging <laughs> like an anti-effervescent. Like a hajmola. Jonah went into the sea and the sea calmed down. You'll get it later. This, tonight, after dinner maybe. Ah, <laughs> But once again, like thousands of times before, suddenly the boat, suddenly the boat came to calm as soon as Jonah was off the sea, off the boat in the sea. And they stood on the edge. And once again, these marinas saw a very familiar sight, a calm sea. What they gave their life for, you know, what they, what they would be seasick for. They once again saw their calm sea. They could see the horizon again. And the sea calmed. And they realized that this God, the God of Jonah, is the God of the land and the sea. And as it calmed, they praised him. Look, they praised him. Oh Lord, you have done this as you please. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea. The sea ceased from its raging. Then what did they do? Then the men feared not the wind, the Lord. Which Lord? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Yahweh, God of heaven. They feared the Lord exceedingly, third time. But this time in a good way. <laughs> Jonah had just brought some people back to God. Not the way he planned it. But Jonah, this is how gracious God is. That even when his man is not doing his job, he'll still use the fellow. A whole boatload of Phoenician sailors turned to God and worshipped the God of the universe, the God and creator of heaven and earth, over Jonah's story. I find that fascinating. Then the men feared the Lord and offered a sacrifice, that is worship, and made their vows, and made their vows. That means they left their gods, they turned to the God of heaven and earth, offered worship, and they vowed to continue to offer worship to this God. That means they made this God their God. Did you get that? 
God was drawing people to himself while believers were still getting their act together. Again, the soldiers are seen in contrast with their former passenger, Jonah. Whereas Jonah was disobedient to God, they, on the other hand, were praising him. God's going to get the job done. God's going to get the job done. God's going to get the job done. But he has chosen to use his people. He can send angels. He can send uh, dreams. He can send, send inspiration. He can send his spirit. But God has chosen to use his people. It is God's choice and it pleases him to use you. Therefore, he will not give up on you or your ministry. He wants them to be the vehicle and the carriers of his mercy-filled message. His mercy-filled message. Let's close. Three ways you can understand to pick up God's cues. Three ways to recognize God's gracious opportunities. Let's look at the three situations here. God offers many opportunities to trust, to obey, to turn. But number one, Jonah ran. Remember that? Jonah ran. So God sent sailors. Number two, Jonah got on a boat. <laughs> so God sent a storm. You seeing the cues? Number three, Jonah jumped in the sea. So God sent, you're not going to die. You want to die? No, you're not going to die. You're going to get the job done first, then you die. But you're not going to die. God is more committed to our ministry than we are committed to our ministry. Do you get it? Do you get that God had a job for Jonah and he was not going to give up on him, but he was not going to force him. He was not going to force him. So he'll let you run. He'll run ahead of you. He'll create cues to bring you back to himself. He'll keep graciously sending you cues, but he's not going to force you into being used for his purposes. So constantly, son, turn, son, turn, let go, change, let that go, give it up, reprioritize, reformat, reroute, constantly through your life, God will keep sending these gracious, gracious cues. I want to remind you that you are not Jonah. There is no fish. There is no city of Nineveh. This story does not apply to you. God is telling about his heart for Nineveh, for the Gentiles, even for the mariners, God is talking about his compassionate message of salvation. And God is talking about the contrasting apathy of his people in that day through three prophets. And that is the story of Jonah. But if you were to make a parallel to your life, it would be only this. That when God asks you to do something, he will back you up and he'll run after you and he'll make sure he never gives up on you. So there's a part of you that needs to understand that the props, your spouse, your home, your career, your money, your joys, your sorrows, the props are what God allows into your life so that you could serve his purposes. When those props become your life, you have lost the plot you're running. God will not give up on you, but he will send gracious clues, cues for you to understand that God has a purpose for your life. My brothers and my sisters, if you do not know God's purpose for your life and you don't know what he's trying to accomplish with you and through you, you are not living the potential, maximizing the potential of your life. Anyone on earth can have a job, get married, have children, get a pension. Anyone can do that. But only one who fears and loves God and understands his heart and is willing to run to Nineveh, not from Nineveh, is the one who sees the success that God has for you. God doesn't want you to do something. 
God wants you to be someone for Him. I repeat, God doesn't want you to do something, otherwise it's probably done already. God wants you to be something for Him. The moment you stop being that person, then you're a Jonah. And we're going to get real deep into the emotions. Jonah and the fish, you remembering your Sunday school version. I'm going to give you a version that's going to make you cry. I'm going to rip your heart out and put God's heart in there. That's my goal for the gospel, of, for the book of Jonah. I want my personal goal for the book of Jonah for our church is that God would rip our hearts out because it is a cold, uncaring, self-preserving heart and put God's heart into me so that when I open my eyes, I see a people that are perishing and need to get back to God. I want Jonah, our study of the book of Jonah, to revitalize and revive our church's desire and passion for the lost. He's going to do it. So this is not a story that's continuing. This is the open heart surgery that God is going to do. Come prepared to meet your God. Come prepared with your Bible and your notepad. There's going to be some deep open heart surgery here in this place as we move forward next week and beyond. And God's going to end the story well. God's going to end the story well. Somebody in Delhi is going to get saved because you responded to the message right. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, you've heard every word I said. And I trust it has exalted my Savior, the Lord Jesus. And I trust that it has honored my God in heaven. And I know that I fear while I say these sentences. Because this is the message that you wanted Jonah to preach to Nineveh. You wanted them to come running to you so that you may show mercy. Oh God, I pray and I cry out to you that there will never be an empty seat in our church. If there are people that are not serving your purposes, take them out and replace it by people who really want to. If there's people who are wanting to know what next, show them. And Lord God, expand these walls. Open our arms wide. <coughs> To accept and love people who are not like us. And perhaps not even for us. Oh God, would you do a deep work in our church's life. And would you show us who our Nineveh is. Would you open our eyes to the wonderful big heart of God. Oh God, be poured out in our midst, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.